0: Welcome in, everyone, to episode 17 of the Peach Day Tailgate Sports Podcast. I'm Kenny Cochran, joined by my co-host, Mr. Jake Hill. Oh, yeah. Crazy episode for y'all today. Man, Georgia sports fans, it was a very eventful weekend, to say the least. Um, If you're a dog fan, boy, it was a nail-biter. We're going to dive right into that real quick. But before we get started, I think we need to mention, man, Jake what a weekend it was to be an Atlanta sports fan, a Georgia sports fan in general. I mean, Falcons win, Braves sweep, uh, NBA preseason basketball is almost here, uh, you know, dogs are 5-0, like, it, it, what a time to be alive.
1: And it has been a dream come true in the in Atlanta this weekend, man. Uh, I know we're going to talk about this more as we get into it, but as the title says in, you know, Kenny's introduction just now stated, uh we were all blessed from what happened this weekend. We have some pros, we have some cons When I'm saying cons. I ain't talking about the dirty birds, uh, some our different football team that we root for. Um, Kenny, I don't know if you have anything else you want to get into the introduction side of things, or if you just want to kick it right off or how you want to do this.
0: What you guys say, man, before we get started, thank y'all so much for listening. Um, episode 17, we've been doing this thing 17 times, 17 days throughout the past couple months here since Jake and I have started this thing. And, um, we're just super thankful and super blessed to be here and to have any kind of platform that we can get. So, uh, any of y'all that are supporting and listening, it means the world to us. Uh, you guys continue to give us your feedback. Obviously, check us out on all our socials. You see us right here, Peach State Pod on Twitter. We're trying to put in some work in there, put some bangers out, man, get some content out for y'all. Um, check us out anywhere you get your podcast. We're on YouTube as well. If you're in the live stream right now, or if you're listening uh, tomorrow, it'll be uh, Wednesday morning when this is uploaded. Um. Be sure to check us out on YouTube. Check out the live feeds. We typically go Tuesday, Wednesdays. You know, sometimes schedule gets thrown off a little bit. We just kind of get it when we can. But um, yeah, man, it's uh, that that's pretty much it for me. Unless you got anything to add.
1: I don't have anything to add, Kenny. But I I know we're we talked about this beforehand. Um, and I have to start the podcast. You know, every every like I do every time. That was a great introduction. Great way to bring us into this wonderful episode seventeen. Um. But we're doing, we're doing this a little bit different than normal. We always start off with the Braves, um, but I believe today we are going to start off with the Georgia Bulldogs. So, Kenny, I'm going to bring out the good old Uno reverse card and flip this right back over to you. And I'm going to let you get the podcast started today with, with a little bit of, little bit of Bulldogs uh, news and your thoughts on this game. We just played against Missouri this past Saturday, and I'll, I'll jump in there as you go along with it.
0: I appreciate you passing me the baton here, Jake. Um, man, let's go ahead and kick it off. Dog Nation. Um boy it was an ugly one. It was a grind. <laughs> We've seen a, a couple a couple things this year from the Kent game. Um headed into the Missouri game. There's a couple things that you've seen throughout the dogs this season that you can pinpoint, but for the most part, man, we came out there, we rolled Oregon, we rolled South Carolina, we rolled Sanford, we rolled I mean we didn't roll Kent State, but we ended up coming out with a three possession win. Um and then you expect You kind of expect to see the same thing going into an unranked uh, SEC matchup. Now it is the SEC. Obviously, you don't ever want to overlook an SEC road game specifically. SEC games in general, man, they're going to be tougher because this is the men's league. This is the men's conference. Um, Ball is different down here. It just is. If you're not an SEC fan, you might not understand, but, you know, Oklahoma and Texas are about to figure it out, so everybody else better hop on the wagon. But. It's just the way it is, man, especially when you travel. these fan bases are so toxic and everybody hates each other. Um, Missouri, by no means, is a rival to us, but I'll, I'll tell you what, Jake. I mean, this game's going to be circled on my calendar next year.
1: Oh, definitely. And before we get too far into things, I, I like you said, I want to stress a little bit how like how big you know SEC games are, and you know the difference between a Missouri and you know a team like an LSU or a team like a Tennessee may not be as big as you think because I, I look back on things and I look back on Missouri playing Auburn in, in, in a nail biter in a game they should have won and Auburn this past week playing LSU in a nail biter a game they arguably should have won and then you you, you move you pass the baton you go LSU beat the hell out of Mississippi State who beat the hell out of Texas and this past week who beat Arkansas so whenever you talk about SEC football you have the lower end teams, you have the higher end teams, but that skill gap between these teams really is not that big of a difference. So you treat this game against a team like Missouri, who a lot of people think is a team that's closer to the lower end of the spectrum when it comes to SEC football. And really, you know, the way that they play and the way they've played, you know, their opponents so far, I know they got blown out by Kansas State. We're not going to talk about that one. And State's a decent football team, so I'm not going to knock it too much, but. Like I mentioned, it, it, it's a lot closer than what people think whenever you see a Missouri and then you see the higher end teams like in Arkansas and a Texas a and Yeah,
0: and it's just a different it's a different feel for the teams, right? The players. And now we're going to get into some Georgia talk here, some some negatives and some positives. But I ain't gonna lie, this is primarily negative from my point of view, Jake. Uh, oh, definitely
1: from my point of view, too.
0: But. It's just when you when you line up against another SEC opponent, it's a different level of motivation, I feel like. And I don't mean that to say that we're not motivated every week. We certainly are, and all these teams are motivated because you want to win every single week. That's what gets you a bowl game appearance. That's what gets you a conference championship and ultimately that playoff spot and to have a chance to win a national championship. It's, that's everybody's goal. But teams like Missouri – When you line up against the number one team in the nation in a conference matchup, a division conference matchup, an SEC East matchup, like, you have nothing to lose, man. Nothing to lose. Everyone thinks you're going to lose this game. The spread was 28, I believe, 28 and a half somewhere. Like, you cover 28 and a half, you feel good about it. So you're going out there throwing everything you can at this team, and Georgia went out there and just looked lackluster. Now we're going to dive into it, so we'll start it off with just a little generalization like Jake just said. But, yeah, man, the SEC is wild. Like these teams, it's any given Saturday around here. Obviously, you have the Alabamas, the Georgias, you know, the Tennessees this year, the A&Ms, what we expected, the Arkansas, all those teams that that are certainly the higher end. But then you have these teams like Missouri that are going to come out there and give you a dogfight, and you have to be ready for it or – you're going to get what happened Saturday against the dogs.
1: That, that is, that is the truth for sure. I mean, like you mentioned, you play, you play off against a team like a Missouri who, you know, talent wise can come out and compete any given Saturday. I mean, it's an sec football team. They can play ball. And like you said, I mean, they don't have anything to lose in this game. They could put everything on the line. They could give, you know, every bit of game plan they want to, to Georgia, because this is, this is probably their biggest game they have on the schedule. So, I mean, they're going to go out there and give everything they have on the field. And that's exactly what Missouri did. I'm not going to knock what Missouri did. Because Missouri came out and played a hell of a football game against the Dogs.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, you heard Kirby talk about Kent. And I think anybody that watched that game admired the fight that Kent State had. Well, Missouri had that same fight and are a better team. Yes. Yes. So, all right, let's get into it, man. Um, the Dogs were 5-0, were and oh, man. 5-0. and oh. We go in, we lose the spot. We're number two on the top 25, poll. That means absolutely nothing. Um, but... We're 5-0. Oh. We get the win in an ugly 26-22 victory over Missouri. We're down 10 points in the fourth quarter. Come back and win this thing. Um, it was ugly all the way around, offensively, defensively. Uh, the team really didn't get any juice until late in the third quarter when Darnell drop-kicked a dude. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, it was just – it was ugly all around. Um. Now, just to go ahead and get my notes started up, Jake, I, I want to say I um have my notes separated up into sections. So, um I know y- you – probably don't have the same thing we didn't talk about this beforehand but if you want to kind of generally we can go step by step i'll just kind of let you know what my sections are and maybe you can hit on the same stuff as we go along
1: yeah definitely i, I have mine separated sections but my sections are only offensive defense so i can kind of tag yeah, along cool. where, you, where you need me to
0: well I, my, my first section is just an initial game synopsis um what i saw from the game from a viewer's perspective without diving into too much just things that i noticed from you know the blind eye at the beginning of the game and i'll just go through and hit mine you can throw in whatever you want um the first thing i want to say on this podcast um missouri y'all can go to hell for that dirty play on Jalen carter
1: yeah no doubt um super dirty play that did not get flagged um now we're down our best defensive player for at least the next
0: two weeks so that was one of the dirtiest plays I've ever seen, man. Um, for those of you who didn't see it, uh, Jalen Carter got caught in a double team where the tackle did this horrible diving down block into his knee, shoulder into his knee, grabbed his ankle, pulled it, um, and he's out one to two weeks is it, pretty much the only update we get. But it was horrible, um, came off the field, didn't play the rest of the game. There was a little scuffle before the game, um, which really just it, it was so uncharacteristic for this Georgia team. No, it wasn't like we were out there throwing punches or anything, but you saw guys like Jalen Carter and and I don't even know who else was out there walking through where Missouri was doing like pregame stretching, and they they were like, what are you doing here? A lot of pushing and shoving, a lot of talking back and forth. A lot of people think that that gave Missouri some added motivation. I don't know what it did, but for it to result in that horrible, dirty play, I mean, that, that tackle should have been ejected from the football game that was absolutely, absolutely dirty.
1: Yeah, it was, it was a terrible play, and it was definitely not something you want to see. It, it adds on to the negativity that, you know, this whole game had around it. It's, it's kind of one of those, like, not cherry on top, because we're not talking about a good thing right here, but it, it's kind of like one of those things just, you know, plummets on an already bad day that we we're kind of having in that aspect of things.
0: Right. All right, let's dive into it a little bit more. Um, one thing I want to say, uh, and we just mentioned about how they played a heck of a game, man. This Mizzou team showed up and just played significantly harder than the, than, than Georgia did um, in all aspects. They were buzzing. Uh, we looked like a dead team. We looked completely disinterested to me. It looked like it, – it. honestly, what it felt like to me is that we worked all week and game planned against a team, and then we showed up on Saturday and didn't realize we were playing Missouri until the opening kickoff.
1: Yeah, I was 100%. I, I feel like this is back-to-back weeks where we – kind of got out-schemed, and it kind of bit us in the tail early on in the game until we could figure something
0: out. Oh, absolutely. Um, the next thing I had on here, just from, from my initial synopsis, the offensive line struggled all game. Um, play calling-wise, like from the coaches, the the blocking schemes were correct, but fundamentally we were all over the place. And I've, I've got a little film dive-in review. We're going to do a little film talk session at the end of this thing. where i will dive into that a little bit more from a – in-game football perspective of what you want to see scheme wise and what, what we just could not do fundamentally but um to round it all out yeah the offensive line struggled from head to toe um next thing for me uh Stet, man, stetson was off the entire game um fumbles miscues drop balls when he went back to throw ball slipping out of his hands he was missing throws um it, it was just super uncharacteristic for him and stetson You know, relatively, he's been kind of a streaky player. He's a guy that's going to – he'll give you a bad eight minutes of football every once in a while, but for the most part, he's a pretty consistent player, and he gets through it. and He fought through some adversity and came through at the end and came through for us, obviously. We we came away with the win. Um, But my biggest critique of him was on the middle side of things. Uh, The pre-snap adjustments were off. Things were weird. Um, It seemed like there were probably 13, 14, 15 different times when I went back and watched the film – that he went up to the line of scrimmage and shifted the offensive line pre snap. And after the ball was snapped, he shifted them the completely wrong direction, put them in a horrible position to where they couldn't recover, um, resulting in a sack or a pressure or, or a busted play. Um, he really, really struggled in this game recognizing the blitz, um, which I thought was kind of ironic because Missouri brought the house every single play, it yeah. seemed like. So uh, eventually you just kind of have to assume that they're going to do that. And credit to this Missouri defense, man, they did two things really really well. Um I I'll say three things, one from a personal perspective. These players, these are some good players on this Missouri team. They don't get talked about a lot. Some really really good players. They played good, they played tight coverage. They played tight coverage against Brock, man. Like like there were some contested catches that Brock had where the only reason he made the catches because 19's better than you are. Um yeah. but they played great, man. And, and fundamentally, the two things I wanted to hit on number one, they had a ton of hidden pressures in this game. They disguised the blitz so well, and obviously Stetson couldn't pick it up, but we were having a hard time picking it up all around the place. Like, it, it was, they did a really, really good job of that. Um, and then one thing, this Missouri game plan was very, very obvious. They were going to load the box and force 13 to beat them. And it took us about two and a half quarters to figure that out before we could come away with, uh, with some offensive production. Um Another thing I want to talk about, Lad McConkey, man. I don't know if your girlfriend broke up with you before the game last week or what's going on, but he confuses me so much. Dude will run an NFL-type route, look like Hunter Renfro out there, running a beautiful route, and then the next play he'll run a peewee football route and drop the ball.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it's, been a, it's so, been a really bad two weeks for for our friend Lad.
0: And for somebody that's just so daggum consistent, that's so disheartening to see. And he'll figure it out. You know, I'm not off the Lad train at all. Like, the dude's an, he's an absolute – stud he's a great player he's a top receiving target for us so he'll figure it out um but yeah we've got to work on that um turnovers that's what's killing us man five turnovers in two weeks jake kent state to missouri five turnovers we are down the turnover margin in both games that's a good sign Uh, it's not a good sign when you're losing the turnover margin but it's a good sign for a good team because a good team you ask any coach in the in the nation a good team wins games when they're losing the turnover margin, and that's what we're doing. So don't get me wrong. This is a great team. Um, we're still struggling in the red zone, man. This has been our Achilles heel all year aside from the Oregon game. It's like when we get down inside the 20, maybe the 15 specifically, the execution's off. The play calling's good. For the most part, Like you could, you could be critical of Munkin for, on a couple aspects, but for the most part, it seems like the plays are there. We're running the right thing. We're just not executing. Um, it's like the whole offense seems to break down when they get down there, which is just weird. Um, the defense, my biggest takeaway from the defense in this game, this defense is very young. They're they're fired up, but these are guys that don't have a lot of experience for the most part. We're starting to see that losing the all these guys to the NFL draft, we're seeing that come into play. This defense struggles immensely in high-tempo situations. Yes. So we struggle so bad in high tempo when we're not subbing guys out and i don't if you're a football fan you probably notice this um the way it works is when the offense subs players in they have to give time for the defense to sub players in the rest will actually walk up to the line of scrimmage and keep the center from snapping the ball but if the offense doesn't sub players the defense has no right to sub players they can try but that's when you get caught with 13 on the field or in a bad spot and uh, this offense came out there and didn't sub players and stayed fresh, and we weren't able to rotate, and the players just weren't ready for it. Um, and to round out my initial game synopsis, I want to round it out with a, a quote from yours truly that I, that I told uh, a couple of my buddies, including Jake, in game time. This is a direct quote. Was, I was really hoping to coast a 35-0 to in this game and watch the Pat McAfee broadcast on ESPN2. But instead, I'm five beers deep and I didn't even start drinking until after the Kendall Milton fumble in the first quarter. I,
1: I I wonder I wonder who 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 quoted that. Who 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 said those famous words? That's your boy. That's, that's you. Thanks. That's your boy. I, I, I did I did get that I did get that text message. I, I will say that I did get that text message on Saturday night. Can confirm.
0: So that's the kind of game this was, man. So we'll dive into it a little bit more from a actual game plan perspective. But Jake, you got you have anything you want to hit on is just, you know, your initial thoughts?
1: Um I think you covered everything pretty well. Um I do want to say that I have a couple things that you, you spoke on that I, I would like to hop into a little bit. Um we talk about, you know, the Kent State game and now going into this game against Missouri. It's been slow starts in both games which is kind of scary um in this game right here five of the seven uh five of our first seven offensive drives ended in punts or turnovers uh the other two ended in field goals um this is also the second straight game where an early fumble led to opponent's first score because that also happened against Kent State we had an early on fumble fumbled in our own red zone or in our own territory and Kent State was able to get the ball back and get a field goal same thing kind of happened here. Um. You know, we look back on it. Um, Kendall Milton had a great, great carry up the middle, got about 20, 20 some odd yards. And then somebody came up and peanut to him and the ball ran out of his hands. I'm not going to put too much in him because that was a great play by the defender, but it led to the same situation. And, you know, it led to Georgia being down for the first time all season. And, you know, that was a pretty common occurrence all throughout this game to the very end. Uh, we talk about the red zone struggles. I, I do want to mention with the red zone struggles, A.D. Mitchell was a huge part in that. Getting A.D. Mitchell back on the field is going to help immensely in that, in that category because when you get to the red zone, A.D.'s your guy you line up on the left side of the field and you tell him to run a fade route and go up and get the ball over somebody. That, that, that's what A.D. Mitchell's job is. That's what, he, that's what he's best at, and that's what you like to do. We have other guys that can do it, but we don't really never see that type of play happen between, like, Brock Bowers and Darnell Washington. I don't think Ladd's too much of that type of guy. And then you talk about Ladd Um, I love Ladd. We all, me and you, both love Lad. I feel like he's getting a little bit exposed being in that wide receiver one spot. I don't know if that's really his best spot, and I don't know if him and Stetson have the connection for him to be that spot. I think when you have AD on the other side of the ball putting in work against a DB, he's going to draw more attention than Lad will from safeties and wherever he's running on the field, and it kind of leaves Lad open somewhere on the field, and that gives Lad all his, you know, crazy stuff. Because you look at Lad McConkey's numbers when AD Mitchell's on the field, bot score numbers, he's going to outplay AD. He's gonna put up 87, 90 yards. He's gonna have a crazy 90-yard one-tud game. And 80 is gonna be on the other side of the field with a 50-yard one-tud game. And it that's just how it works. But it works so well in that aspect because it kind of seems like Ladd can come alive in that situation. But with him being, you know, wide receiver one having the other team's top top corner on him, it, I don't I don't really feel like he can capitalize in that situation. Uh I, I'll let you go to the next one because I don't really want to uh dig too far into it and start reaching into your other category. So I'll let you get into your next category you have, and then I'll I'll keep on talking as you
0: go. Okay, so my next category is individual player notes. Okay. So this is just things, notes that I took from individual players in the game, not necessarily looking at the team from a whole. Um, so I'll go ahead and kick it off. First thing I noticed, Dom Blaylock. Well Boy, we are so glad to have him back.
1: Yes. Yes, it's always good to have Dom on the field. He's he's a very talented kid, and you know he's a guy that struggled with injuries throughout his career. We can hope that we can have a healthy Dom Blaylock, and he can see the field plenty this year.
0: You remember back to like 2019, that Georgia team in 2019, when we needed a big play on third down, Dom Blaylock was the guy.
1: Yes, and I finally have not seen him healthy since until now.
0: Exactly, we have and and that's exactly what he did for us, man. We needed we needed big plays from Saturday, and he came through. Big 3rd and 12 conversion catch from him. Laser thrown by Stetson. Um, There's a a couple plays from him that were just huge. Dom's not necessarily a guy that's going to tear it up on the box score either. um, But just as far as game impact goes, it's hard to find a a player like Dom Blaylock. Dude's got hands of steel. He can catch anything. um, So uh, we're very, very fortunate to have him back. Another thing I want to say is Arian Smith, man. Aaron Smith, I thought it was very interesting. He has not played all year. He's another guy that's been battling injuries. But he is such an immense talent. As soon as he stepped foot on the field, that defense recognized him. The safety started favoring him. He caught the attention of every defensive back on the field. You can see that defense key in on Aaron Smith. And when you have a, a dynamic player like that in the game, regardless of if he's getting the ball that frequently or not, that's a big advantage to your team. You're drawing attention from anybody.
1: Yeah, I agree. I don't want to jump your gun too much here, but I am going to go ahead and say as we're on this kind of wide receiver topic, getting these guys back is such a big deal. And we, I talked about AD earlier, getting him back is going to be huge because uh, I don't know your opinions on the guy I'm about to talk about, but I know my opinions. I don't love seeing Marcus Roseby jack Saint on the field so much, and getting these guys back should limit how much we see him play football for Georgia. I enjoyed Marcus Rosemey-Jack St. last year in the role he played, coming on the field every once in a while, maybe getting one grab for 15 yards for the whole game. But seeing him on the field almost every, every down, there's he, he doesn't produce nearly enough. And, you know, seeing his routes, seeing all what he does, he's a guy that if he's open, you throw him a good ball, he's going to come down with it, don't get me wrong. But he does not have the explosiveness that this Georgia offense needs from that other wide receiver spot. So seeing guys like Arian Smith and Don Blaylock, who do have that type of explosiveness, you know, get healthy and be able to get on the field. It's it's such a big deal for this Georgia team. And I think that, you know, like when we get AD back, you know, having so much depth at the wide receiver position, you have five or six guys you can go to and confidently, you know, know that they can go on the field and make a play. So it's so huge to have these kids back right now.
0: Oh, yeah. Very well said there. Um, next guy for me, I put a couple stars next to this one because he's undoubtedly the MVP of the game. The only player on the UGA roster that showed up for all four quarters, is Jamon Dumas-Johnson. Um, I have a note on him as well. So JDJ, man, continues to be elite. Um, this is a, we, we mentioned it a little bit last week. We got to see him a little bit more in the downhill run game. Amazing, amazing, amazing downhill run defender. This dude fills gaps. Now, he'll miss the occasional tackle, but you can't ask a guy to go 100%. But you know in a game where JDJ is missing a couple tackles, you're, you're, you have some defensive miscues. So, you know, throw that out the window a little bit here. I'm going to say amazing downhill run defender. Really, really good in pass defense. Um, they broke up a couple passes, made a really, really big impact plays on third down. Um, but the one thing about him I want to say is he's a great leader. This guy is a sophomore. He's a very young player. When you're a sophomore in college, um, you're obviously on the younger side of things. And it, it almost seems from a pride standpoint, when you're a young adult college kid, You come out here and you're playing with some grown men and some younger kids. You almost don't want to – your pride will kind of get in the way a little bit when when you're talking and looking at guys from a leadership perspective. But, you know, don't get me wrong. This guy's the leader on the team. But sometimes it's a little bit uncommon to see players have such high respect for an underclassman. And JDJ jumped all over Kamar Laster on the sideline all over him, got in his face, was telling him, you were doing this wrong, you were doing this wrong, you got to be better, you got to do this. What I noticed from that conversation is Kamari Laster pulled his helmet off, turned, looked JDJ right in the eyes, listened to every single word, did not crack an attitude, did not argue back, said, yep, you're right, I'll do better, walked off, came out there, and fought through some adversity. So, JDJ, all the props in the world to you, man. This team is lucky to have you.
1: Yeah, I I have notes on jdj two, um this is the most pure talent we have seen from the linebacker position since roquan smith agreed if you gave this guy the game experience that nicobe dean had he would be a better football player than nicobe dean i am a hundred percent sure on that the way that this guy can get sideline to sideline make every play on the field is incredible he to me I have a note right here that says he might be the best player on this Georgia defense. He has impressed me so much. And you're all right. You know, sometimes you might see him miss a tackle. Sometimes I've, I've noticed in the run game, he might, he might pursue the wrong gap and, and completely leave it wide open. But he's, he cleans some of that stuff up. This dude is going to be a killer. Watch out for this guy to be a first-round pick in the draft like in, in the future if he can keep this up at the college level. He is a freak. Um, you talked about the Kamari last year thing really well. Um, There was a play that Brady Cook, I think, is that, that, that Missouri's quarterback name? Yep, Brady Cook strolled out to the right side of the field. Kamari Laster had the wide receiver, and he let the wide receiver sneak behind him. And Brady Cook threw about a 30-yard ball to a wide-open wide receiver on the sideline. Very next play, Kamari Laster gets flagged for pass interference. Same same receiver. And after that drive was over, JDJ was in his face. It reminded me like N'Kobe Dean last year in the national championship game getting up in a... Uh, Channing Tindall's face whenever he about missed that, whenever he about allowed the touchdown catch it, that type of leadership you can see, especially from a guy that's a sophomore. It is insane. And you know, Georgia fans, we love our middle linebackers. Middle linebackers are kind of what makes this defense go. And just to see another guy hop in and start to fill that role. So well, it is amazing to see, man. He has been awesome at the university of Georgia. You know, smell smell. has been playing good ball too. So those two guys have been playing very, very good ball at the middle linebacker spot. And I know this is something that me and Kenny have talked about. And you know, we stress that it's gonna be a huge season for them getting everything together. And, you know, so far through five games, I have been very impressed what we've seen from. Them. They have some stuff they can clean up because they're both pretty inexperienced players playing every down. But they are they are impressing me a ton.
0: I wanna to mention too on that play you talked about Kamari Laster getting beat. Um we've sung his praises all year long, man, but Malachi Starks also completely misread that. Um He's got to be there for the back back support, and he just wasn't. um, He didn't recognize that play, and you're right, wide open receiver. So a couple couple miscues there. Um, The next guy on my list, Keely Ringo. Um, Keely Ringo might have committed pass interference on every play in this game. Um, He only got flagged for it once. He got busted on that big third down play. um, which It it was a little bit – was it P.I.? 100%. That ball was also five yards out of bounds. Um, So – you know, whatever. Keeler Ringo obviously is an amazing town, one of the best corners in college football, if not the best. So I'm going to kind of throw that out the window a little bit and say he had a bad game. But uh, just I, I thought that might have been worth mentioning. Um, next thing on my list, Kenny McIntosh. Kenny Mac is the guy, man. Um, we didn't expect to see too much out of him in this game. Didn't know if we were going to see him at all, to be honest with you, because he's battling that ankle injury came out there and did everything you could have asked from this guy. And that brings me into my next point that kind of compounds with Kenny Mac. Kendall Milton, contrary to popular belief, Kendall Milton is not an incredible downhill runner.
1: No, I, I, I have to agree with you on that.
0: And it's crazy to say, because you think of Kenny Mac and, and what he brings to you in the past game, catching swing routes out the backfield. Um, Kendall Milton was the best between the tackle runner we had in this entire game. He might be the best between the tackle runner we have on the team. And we haven't seen too much out of him. We've seen him get five carries, six carries, 15 yards, 20 yards, and then do a lot in the passing game. But in this game, he had to step up and play a big role. Obviously, Kendall Milton had that fumble early on. But one thing about Kendall Milton I'll notice, man, you, you see a lot of times running backs will take the ball, follow their blocks a little bit. He doesn't really do that. Instead, he just kind of stutter steps at the line of scrimmage. You don't see too much, you know, putting his head down and, and, and busting through a hole.
1: Yeah, and, you know, talking about the running backs, one thing, oh my Lord, I am so sorry. I keep on having this damn audio play, and it, it will not stop. I keep on pausing, and it will not stop. Um, I do want to mention that, in the fourth quarter, last drive of the game, Kirby Death March style, you know, run the ball down the throat, run the clock out. Dejon Edwards had seven carries in eight plays. So it, it kind of shows, you know, how well versed this running back room is whenever you have a guy like Dejon kind of taking over that lead back role on such a pivotal, pivotal drive, you know, at the end of the game. Whenever, you know, I think most Georgia fans would expect to see a guy like Kendall Milton getting those carries, but it was Dejon. And, you know, this is a guy that we've talked really highly on. Um, and to see him, you know, get a, a big role, especially over the past couple weeks, has, has been huge for this Georgia team because you kind of have that ability to have a couple different guys that can completely just tote the ball downhill, which is, which is nice.
0: Absolutely. John, dude, he's an absolute stud. I've been very impressed with him. He's a guy I wasn't as high on as some people were, and he's completely won me over. Um, next guy on my list, Brock Bowers. Brock Bowers is him. He is 100% him. He is everything you could expect. He is the best player on the field at any given point in time.
1: He is the best player on the field at any, po- any given point in time. And I do want to mention this. And this is, this is going to be me kind of taking a shot at Todd Monk in a little bit. Brock Bowers ran the ball all over everybody every time he gets a chance to run. Why do you go into this game and not give Brock Bowers the ball one time? Whenever this Georgia offense is struggling, you find a way to get the ball in that guy's hands. And the easiest way to get the ball to that guy in that guy's hands is hand the ball off to him. You ain't got to worry about coverage. You don't have to worry about anything. And Georgia did not in do that chest. one time. Not a single time. Georgia, we look at we look at Kenny McIntosh. I know he's dealing with a little bit of an injury bug. This Georgia offense rolled so well through the first couple weeks of the season because he was such a pivotal part in the passing game. He had one reception for 10 yards. This is not... What we can be doing, guys, and I know Stetson had a couple missed throws going to the sideline and stuff. There's a couple things that we we could clean up, but there was not very many designed plays to get Kitty McIntosh and Brock Bowers the ball and you know with with space to play. Like we were trying to do too much stuff downfield, and it kind of came back to bite us. And you know we we we're gonna have to figure that out. I I love Munkin. Munkin is the best offensive coordinator that Georgia football has ever had. I will say that, thousand percent confidently we can't just go away from the game plan that has worked so well so far this year. And that is exactly what happened in this game. The game plan was awful on the offensive side of the football. I don't know if it was because we thought we'd come in and be able to blow Missouri out the water and just outplay them, but it it, it was, it was very, very disappointing to see. Let's save it. Let's save it. Braves. Braves. Oh God.
0: Oh God. Pose, all right. It next on my list. To it. <laughs> next, next on my list. Darnell Washington, Big O. We have got to find ways to get Darnell Washington the ball more.
1: A thousand percent.
0: He is a guy that will go up and get it. He is six foot seven, two hundred seventy pounds. It doesn't matter who you put on this man; you can't stop him. Stetson Bennett. Do not overthrow Darnell Washington, please.
1: We saw it in the game. We, we saw it. We saw it in the game. Darnell was on the sideline, and you saw somehow the overthrow a guy six eight. It's it was a rough game for Olstead.
0: It was. It was. It was. Um, last guy on my individual list here, Tyke Smith. Tyke Smith had a huge game for us, man. He looked great in coverage. He played physical football. He was flying around the field. We are very very happy to see Tyke Smith getting some more PT.
1: Yes, Tyke Smith has gotten, has, has seen more playing time as the weeks have gone on which is very nice to see. Um, I do want to mention that the first touchdown that Missouri scored was that little play where the tight end kind of ran like a little drag route and there was a running back. I want to say there's a running back back. I I don't have the film in front of me, so I'm trying to go up memory. And then he kind of ran the tight end kind of ran like a wheel route and both Tyke and Chris Smith, it looked like Tykee was supposed to have the running back and Chris was supposed to wait up and wait for the tight end. Tykee played position. Chris came up with him and tried to get the running back. Tight end runs wide open to the end zone. So I don't know if that's just a miscommunication. Obviously, Tyke is a guy that has not, you know, been on the field every down and, you know, seen every play. But to me, Chris Smith, that's a play you can't be so aggressive on. You seem like you were the deep safety. You have to cover that deep, that, you know, that that spot on the field. And it was wide open. So I'm I'm really excited to see Tyke back. He was a guy that a lot of people ranked in their top 10 safeties in college football going into the season. So seeing him get healthy and get more playing time is huge. And if that was your last player's note, I have a, couple players. I I do want to mention, I think it's just one or two. Um, Bobby Beal through five games. Our sack leader last year has been very, very quiet, which is very concerning for me. This Georgia, this Georgia defense has not been able to get very many sacks. And I know sacks are kind of a a weird stat because if you're getting pressures all game long, who cares about the sack, right? Like if you're, if you're getting to the quarterback, if you're not getting sacks, nobody cares. It's kind of like the win in baseball. You know, if you have a, Two era in baseball and your team sucks you know you can get one win throughout the season if you're getting pressures on the quarterback all game long he's not gonna have a good game no matter if you sack him or not that's just how football works but i feel like watching georgia football i have not even noticed bobby beal being a factor at all on this georgia defense and he's a guy that we expected to be a pretty significant part of this team and we just haven't seen it so far this year nolan smith is a great player Nolan Smith is not a box score player. He's not a guy that's going to rack up a ton of pressures. He's not a guy that's going to rack up a ton of sacks. He is a consistently good player every down. He's on the field every, every single play, and he's a good run stopper. He has a lot of different aspects to his game, but he's not that number one pass rusher. And I think Georgia needs to develop who that guy's going to be, whether it be a Michael Williams or maybe Bobby Beale turns around this year, but so far we have not really seen that on Robert Beale. So that that is one thing I did want to mention. Um, You already covered the Keely Ringo-Kamari Laster thing pretty well. I didn't jump in during Keely Ringo. I did want to say that to me, sometimes it seems like Keely Ringo gets a little bit lazy. Sometimes he plays pretty far off the ball, and they'll throw a shallow route to his side of the field, and his reaction's a little bit slow. He also has a really, really hard time getting his head turned around on balls that are heading his way. And that, that's something that's kind of going to bite him in the butt, I feel like, a little bit whenever you start playing upper echelon teams. I've had my ups and downs with Kamari last year all year. Um, He, he still scares the hell out of me. I, I will say that a 1,000%. It seems like if you watch a Georgia game, especially these past... Three or four games, uh, you're almost locked in to see a Kamari Lester burn play at some point in the game. It's going to happen. So whenever you start playing some of these better teams, uh, it's going to be ugly. And then you talk about how Georgia struggles with, up, with high-tempo offenses. It just so happens one of the best teams we play on our schedule this year, whether you like, like them or not. I know some people are not so high on them, and some people are very high on them. Tennessee loves to run the run the tempo offense. And if Georgia comes out playing slow like they did today or not today, but this game against Missouri against a team like a Tennessee or hell, even a team like an Auburn or a Florida, you could get our Mississippi State. We had to go to Mississippi State to play them this year. You can get behind early and those teams can close the door on you. Missouri played a hell of a football game, but they did not have the ability to close the door other teams might have the ability so georgia we have to we have to change some stuff up we have to get things rolling and you know we just haven't seen it yet so hopefully next week going into auburn we'll we'll, we'll be able to check that out Is that it for you
0: individually
1: yes that is it for me individually
0: all right my next segment is a, a new segment to the show jake if you'll allow it i'll go ahead and dive into this go ahead so, um, something we've never really done on this show before, something that we haven't really been put in a position to, to dive into it at all. Um, we want to get into the X's and O's a little bit, man. Let's, let's get into some film room talk. Um, I watched a lot of film on this game. I'm a guy that has a tendency to watch a lot of film. Uh, this Georgia team really hasn't demanded it too much. Watched a little bit of film, but we haven't talked about it too much on here. Um, I really wanted to take a second and kind of get into the fundamentals of what we do um, primarily on the offensive line. And what we need to be doing, Um, that was, you know, kind of the big takeaway from everybody in this game is the offensive line looked bad. So um, I didn't want to just leave it at that. I wanted to kind of take it another step and and find out why did the offensive line look bad. And upon watching the film and and diving in a little bit, I I think I got some really, really good points here to address. So let's dive into it, man. Film room talk. Um, I'm going to kick it off by saying, obviously, the offensive line struggled in this game. Why did they struggle, you ask? The offensive line could not get vertical. Um, it's not that they couldn't get vertical. It's just that they weren't getting vertical. They were not doing it. The opportunity was there. They should have been doing it. The scheme called for it. The play calling called for it. They just were not doing it. Um, you saw a lot of combination blocks in this game where guys just weren't, were getting hung up and they weren't able to get to the second level. And in a zone running scheme like Georgia runs, we run a pro-style offense. This is a prototypical NFL offense. Um, you don't see a lot of RPOs, out of Georgia, you see a lot of under center, a lot of zone schemes, a lot of counter schemes. That's kind of our bread and butter, has been for a long time. Even with Munkin, we throw the ball a lot more now, but we're still, you know, you rely on that running game a lot. And that's what this offensive line has got to be good at. Um, and in saying all that, I want to address one person individually. I'm not. I'm not here to attack our offensive linemen because everyone had a bad game. But Warren McClendon stuck out to me, man. He had a really, really rough game Saturday. Um, the blocking schemes were right. He he was in the right positions. Uh, Stetson. I, I'll, I'll put a little bit on Stetson. And say he didn't always put him in the right position in his pre-snap adjustments. But even the plays where he got put in the right in the right spots, he he was getting beat, and it was pretty consistent throughout the game. Um. Now let's dive into the X's and O's a little bit, man. Football fans, if you're listening to this, if you're watching this, if you love football, if you know ball, you might not know it um, you know, you know, uh, from an X's and O's perspective or from a schematic standpoint, so you may learn or you may just be you know, hearing me do coach talk right now. So let's dive into it a little bit. If you watch a lot of football and you've always wondered why teams run zone running schemes and counter running schemes so much, let me tell you why. Zone running play, specifically inside zone, where you see Georgia run all day long, is a play where the blocking scheme is designed off of combination blocks. What is a combination block? A combination block is when you have primarily a guard and center attack, usually the nose guard, and you have a chip from a guard. The guard gets up to the second level, picks up usually a Mike linebacker. That opens up the hole for the running back to take the ball inside, get up to the second level. You're not trying to blast touchdown. After touchdown on an inside zone, you obviously can, and Georgia has done it. You're trying to get to that second level for that four- or five-yard game, and that's what inside zone is, and that's what we run. It's very effective. Um, what's the purpose of a combination block, you might ask? First of all, a combination block is it's, it's where you're giving a player the ability to give a little chip, like I just mentioned, and get up to the second level, and you're essentially blocking two players with one. Um, one-and-a-half, I guess you could call it. And it's very effective because you don't have to rely on individual man-up, one-on-one blocking. Um, one thing about combination blocks I'll say is it's so dependent on the ability of that offensive lineman to release and get to the second level. Every single player on this George offensive line has that ability. These are highly touted recruits. These are absolute stud players. These guys, these guys are going to be playing on Sundays. Um, so every single player can do that. I'm not here telling you that they can't. They absolutely can. It's just that they didn't or they struggled to in this game. Um, In order for it to work, it's what you call free release. You've got to free release to the Mike linebacker, and we were struggling with that so bad. And when you want to win a game running inside zone schemes and counter schemes, you've got to be able to free release and get up to the second level. Um, One thing about combination blocks, it kind of allows you to make up for a lack in size, talent, or athleticism from an offensive line. You see a lot of... A lot of high school teams running these combination blocking schemes. It's something to where, obviously, you think about the first guy you think about interior defensive linemen. Aaron Donald to me. First guy you think about. What's the number one way you're not going to be able to take Aaron Donald out of a game because he's such an absolute stud? Um, but what's one way you can at least try to limit him as much as possible? It's with a double team. It's with a combination block. Give give some, give some somebody a little bit of help. Give him a chip. Give them a push. Give them a shoulder, and then get up to the second level, um, and that's something that this Georgia team is just based on so heavily. Obviously, I just mentioned that our offensive line is very talented and big and strong and all the things you can say, so we're not saying – I'm not there saying that we can't that, – that we're running these schemes because we're lacking in that. It's just an efficient way to play football. Um, it's the same thing with counter plays. Counter plays give you the advantage in the blocking scheme because you're moving offensive linemen. You're pulling guards. You might have a motioning fullback, an H-back, or a tight end, come across the middle, open up a hole for your running back to get a, a little chunk play or a three- or four-yard gain. Um, it's something that's so fundamental. Um, this Georgia play, man, this Georgia team, they cut their teeth on counters, and uh, we ran the ball nine times in the first half of this game. Obviously, we were down we were down very early and frequently until the fourth quarter. I just mentioned earlier in the podcast we were down 10 in the, first, in the fourth quarter. Excuse me. Um, I think it was 9-26. to 26. I think we ran nine run plays in the first half and 26 pass plays, which is just super weird and uncharacteristic for this Georgia team. Um, zero counter plays in the entire first half. Um, we started running counters in the second half, and look at what it did, man. It opened up, it, it opened up the run game and, and really helped us move the ball down the field. Um, The first three running plays of the game were inside zone. First one got stuffed. Second one, Kendall Milton busted for 35 yards. Got the peanut-Chillman fumble. Third one got stuffed, and then we kind of strayed away from it. Um, So, I say all that to say, man, when you talk about fundamental football and you're running these zone-blocking schemes, this Georgia offensive line has been doing this for year after year after year. It's what we cut our teeth on. It's our bread and butter. It's how we move the football down the field in the run game. We could not do it against Missouri. And Give all the credit in the world to Missouri. They played a hard-fought game. It doesn't matter how hard you play. When this offense is is doing what they need to do fundamentally, from a scheme standpoint, they're getting the chip box. They're getting up to the second level. They're free-releasing to the mic. You can't stop it. I don't, know, I don't care who you are. We're going to gain three or four yards. We're going to do it play after play. We're going to chop wood. We're going to wear you down, and we're going to score a touchdown. We just couldn't do it. We just couldn't do it.
1: Yeah, I I think I think that we kind of went away from the run game a little early, which is is a little bit disheartening to see. Um, to be fair, early on, outside of the you know Kendall Milton run, they were they they did have our lunch money. They were taking our lunch money, kicking our puppies, not allowing us to execute how we wanted to execute in the run game. They were blowing up plays before they even had a chance to develop, which was impressive on Missouri's defensive front. They you know their front their front seven played a hell of a game in the first half. It was. It was really, really good to see. Um, you talked about Warren McCle- Mcclendon. Uh, he, that defensive end. I don't know his name. That dude destroyed him. The whole first half. I went back and watched some tape too. He worked that man, and he was letting him get straight to Stetson. Um, letting him, you know, uh, get himself involved in the run game. There was one time where Dajon carried it. He bumped into an offensive lineman, had to do a little spin and. He was going to the left side and McClendon's guy off the right side came all the way around and still made the play, which is not something you want to see on a run. that's going to the left side. The guy, the defensive end from the opposite side of the field, come over and make a play. That's how you know you got absolutely beat off the ball. And I think that's the biggest issue that Georgia had. We continuously got beat off the football early on in the game. Our offensive linemen were getting blown off the ball fast and early. Like there was there was no way around that. Um, And. You know, it, it's it's all about game plan. Whenever we went out after after half, we started running the ball more. We started getting a little bit more feel for it. Like you said, you start running a little bit of a counter action, keep that defense on their toes a little bit. They don't know where the play is going to go. That's that's when things start turning around. And hopefully, this Georgia offense takes notes on that, and you know, we can we address that going forward in the future.
0: No, absolutely. It's something that we can't stray away from the run game. We just can't, even when you have an elite passing attack like we do. And I know we've been battling injuries, man. We have. Everybody's going to battle injuries. You can't hang your hat on that because it's going to happen. This is football. It's the most physical game in the world, unless you're talking about rugby or whatever you want to talk about. As far as American sports, man, this is as physical as it gets. And um, if you want to win, you've got to be able to move the football on the ground. You see it year after year with the top teams in the nation. It doesn't matter who you are. You've got to move the ball on the ground. Um that brings me to my final segment to close this whole thing out. Um I wanted to end on a positive note, and this is my positive takeaways from the game. So, Jake, um, you have anything else you want to add before we get into a little bit of the positives?
1: Um, no, that, that's pretty much it. Um I do I do have one more little game plan, you know, thing that I noticed on the table a lot. For some reason, and I don't know if it's a game plan thing. I don't want to speak too much because I'm sure that, you know, Munkin and the guys, I know they have a lot more football knowledge than I do. That's because kind they're of getting paid the big bucks to do what they do. When we run plays with Stetson and Bennett going out of the pocket, why do we run so many plays with him going out of the pocket to the left side and having to make throws across his body? That is something that I noticed we did a lot against Missouri, and it was a very confusing thing. I don't know if it was because that that damn and had McClendon's number on the right side, but it, it is something I did notice. And it was something that Stetson seemed a little bit uncomfortable doing. And I, I think that might also have an impact in it. So that, that was one thing I, I noticed that, you know, I'm, I'm going to keep my eye on moving forward to see if that's something we keep on doing. Because that's not something I have really, you know, noticed us doing too much in the past, but it's something I definitely saw us do against Missouri.
0: I think one thing, too, you can attribute to that is the timing of everything. It seemed like the timing was just off. And, and when you face a lot of pressure like we did in this game, obviously the timing's going to be thrown off. And it's easy to put things like that on the quarterback. I know we've talked bad about Stetson a lot, but it's not just Stetson's fault, man. Like it, It's hard to tell from a fan watching the game. It, it's a lot different than a coach who knows what's happening or you know, a coordinator or even the quarterback. But like, let's say a receiver runs a dig route – one yard too shallow and Stett overthrows him. Like that's not completely on Stett. This is a play that they've run thousands and thousands of time in camp and in practice. And if that timing's off by one yard, that's going to make the difference. And that, I true. wonder I wonder if that came came into play a few times it, predominantly with with Ladd, like you said, taking over that number one spot, playing in a little bit different positions than he has um in, you know, last year and earlier this year um so yeah i I wonder if that had anything to do with it maybe we were just trying to extend plays a little bit more than we should have or yeah like you said with McClendon getting beat on that right side pretty consistently we're trying to move away from it i don't know but i did notice that too
1: okay yeah that's my closing thoughts though Uh, you can get to your positive and you know we'll 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 roll on with the cast
0: all right let's get out of here man let's talk about a couple positives so we can round this thing out a lot of negatives but there were some positives from this game um this team has been extremely banged up. Um, we've been banged up all year, and we're getting healthier. by week after week, you see guys come back. Um, we still need to get guys like AD back, Kenny Max getting healthier. Uh, guys like, like Don Blaylock is huge. Um, hopefully, Jalen Carter, we can get him back soon. They said a week or two is the most recent update I can find. But that's a super positive thing to say, that that we're getting healthier. We're getting guys back on the field. We've got to get our playmakers back and get the ball in their hands. Um the defensive line. The defensive line looked really, really good in this game, and you probably wouldn't have thought when you looked at it just from a from a initial perspective. But only 102 rushing game. Uh, excuse me, 102 rushing yards allowed in this game. 91 of those 102 came in two plays, and one of those was the missed tackle by J.D.J., which is very uncharacteristic. So write that off as you will. But 102 rushing yards allowed. 91 coming off two plays. That's pretty significant. Um, first downs. We had 14 more first downs in Missouri in this game, 28 to 14. That is huge. And that just goes to show, we mentioned it in the Kent State game, these turnovers are killing us. We're giving them the ball in scoring position. And, and they're not having to move the ball. You cannot move the ball like that on this Georgia defense. We've proven that between the 20s. When you're driving 20-20 to 20 against us, you just cannot do it consistently. But if you, I don't care if you're playing a Pop Warner team. If you give them the ball in plus territory or, or around midfield, a couple chunk plays and a field goal, that's going to happen time after time. So we've got to limit turnovers. Um, total yards. We uh, won the the total yard margin by a pretty significant amount. Um, 481 total offensive yards to Missouri's 294. Um, So the offense is moving the ball. We've just got to limit turnovers and play more efficiently. Um, One more thing about Darnell Washington. I don't know if you saw the report. Kirby addressed it after the game. At halftime, Darnell Washington walked up to the coaches and said, run the ball behind me.
1: Hell yeah. I love it
0: fired me up man one of the best blocking tight ends in the country could make the argument that he is the best this guy could be a first round talent based off of that alone um nuts i'm so happy to have him he is an absolute dog um and to round it out for me i want to talk about kirby and what he said after the game um now kirby said multiple times that this is the most talented coaching staff he's ever been a part of This this coaching staff has been accumulated over years. He's brought guys in. We've seen guys play pivotal roles. Obviously, Dan Landing on his way out. But you still have really, really, really quality coaches on this coaching staff. And for Kirby, who has been on – legendary coaching staff to say that this is the most talented coaching staff he's ever been a part of. is huge, and they were tested in this game in every aspect, offensively, defensively, special teams, any way you could think they were. And it makes you feel really, really good that they were able to make the adjustments and come away with a win in a really, really ugly game like this.
1: Yes. uh, I I think you nailed that on the head. Uh, Looking in the deep stats in this and success rates and stuff, um, this Georgia team – is nowhere near as far off as what this box score shows. We had less than 70 less yards than Alabama for the complete game, which, you know, that's, that's, a, that's a significant amount. Don't get me wrong. 65 yards might be another score of drive. They scored 49 points. We talk about... It's like numbers and we talk about turnovers and we talk about getting the ball in the end zone. Those are the two key things that this Georgia offense has to address. This is still one of the top offenses in college football. Don't get me wrong. Like you look at numbers, you look at yards, you look at all the fun stuff. We just have to get the ball in the end zone and quit having stupid turnovers. We had five turnovers in the past two games and one of them have been interceptions. That means there has been four turnovers that have just been sloppy football. I am a football fan. And if you fumble the ball, I'm sorry, Kendall Milton. This this is not towards you because I do think that was just a good play by the defender. I hate fumbles. Fumbles are the worst thing in football. It's like a pitcher coming in and walking walking the leadoff guy. It is just something that should be avoidable at this level. So you know we 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 have to limit that type of stuff. That's just dumb football. And whenever Georgia straightens that up, which I know they will. There's no question in like in my mind that they will straighten it up this team is going to look amazing and they're going to be right back at that point coming in next week. I know last week we said the same thing, said we were about to come out, and destroy Missouri because it was a bounce back game. It didn't happen. So, going into next week, at some point this Georgia offense is going to start getting the ball in the end zone, they're going to stop turning the ball over, and then we're going to start taking off. That's what's going to happen. We, show, we this off that Oregon team we played week 1 is a top 20 team in college football. I they ever since they played Georgia, they have been a very, very good team. So, there's nothing in my head that makes me think they weren't a good team when they played Georgia. So offensively and defensively, and we look at turnovers. We look at this Georgia drives. We had, a, we had three and outs and everything in this drive. I don't want to put it all on the defense, not, you know, giving up these long eight play 70 yard drives. But I mean, there was plenty of times when the Georgia offense only gave the Georgia defense three minutes of rest and had them right back on the field or turning the ball over in the red zone. So, both of these things are going to kind of cancel out as the season goes on, giving up points and then getting more points. That's what this Georgia team is going to do.
0: Absolutely. Everything's going to regress to the main. At the end of the day, this is a very, very good team, uh, a top team in the country, probably the best team in the country, in my opinion, and in the opinion of many others. Um, obviously, the rankings were number two. That doesn't matter, guys. Like This is all about getting to the postseason and making a run. And this is a team that's going to be right in there. Obvi- we're, not, we're not downplaying this Georgia team at all. We just got to clean up some mistakes. So um, I know we, we talked a lot about Georgia. We had a lot to talk about this week in, in an ugly week. We'll talk about it in the next episode as we are moving forward, headed into Auburn, a game that everybody's excited for. But, you know, at the end of the day, 5-0, and come away with the win. Um, it doesn't matter if it's ugly, if it's pretty, whatever. Um, a win is a win, and um, we'll move on to the next one.
1: Yep, that's what we got to do. Um, that rounds it out on Georgia Talk for me, Kenny. I, I don't know about you. That's it from me. All right, so is, is this my time? Is this the time to shine right here? Is this, is this, Let's is go. This it?
0: Let's go. Let's be happy for the rest of the show. We are out of the negatives, everybody. And
1: we were about to hop in the positives, and things just got a whole lot more positive. Me and Kenny have both had the Braves games on our phones, and let me just go ahead and announce it. Timestamp right here, 10-14. This happened probably about 20-some-odd minutes ago, but we wanted to save it for right here. The Atlanta Braves are your NL East division champions. A no, baby! round of applause, little woo-woo. Yeah, everybody that's listening or watching, you know, if, if you're driving your car, listen to your daily commute, don't clap your hands right now, please, because we don't want that on our, on our souls. But we've said this the whole year. We have said this the whole season, me and Kenny both, down 10 and a half games, we still said this, that we were going to win this division, and it happened. We never fell off, and we were trying to tell y'all, don't fall off this Braves team. This Braves team is going to get rolling. And that is exactly what they did. They rolled. The Mets fell off. I'm not going to say they fell off. The Braves just played incredible ball over the past couple months. And we pulled out the division, which is a beautiful thing. Thank you, uh, Jake Odorizzi, for coming out and pitching a great game. You will go down as a Braves legend from now on. No more Odorizzi hate, even though I do believe this is your last time ever putting on a Braves uniform. Sorry to say it, bud. Um, but He came out and pitched a good game today. Obviously, the bullpen has been absolutely nails over over the last, you know, two months or so. I think there was a graphic on the game today. Since September, we have best ERA, best everything out of the bullpen, which Braves fans, we come to expect that over the past two seasons, our bullpen has been amazing. And, you know, when it comes to baseball, when it comes to playoff baseball in these big series. I like to say the bullpen and the defense are the two of the biggest things that you can't replace. And luckily enough, the Braves are very good at both aspects of that. So it's beautiful. Um. My big notes I have, obviously going to this podcast, is the Braves series against the Mets, so we'll go ahead and dive into that a little bit. Going into that series, the Braves were a game out of first place against the NL East, then-NL East uh, division leaders, the New York Mets, and I'm not going to lie, I was nervous. Kenny, I'm sure you could say the same. You go into a big series like that whenever the Mets own the tiebreaker, knowing that you have to at least win two games. And even if you only win two games, it's still a tough climb because that Mets team is going into a series right now against the Nationals, who are the worst team in baseball. Max Freed, Kyle Wright, and Charlie Morton came out and out Jacob DeGrom, Max Scherzer, and Chris Bassett. We could have not asked for a better series out of all of those guys. They did not pitch stellar. Don't get me wrong. They were not out there throwing shutouts. But against a Mets lineup that can add up runs pretty quick on you, they gave us everything they everything that we needed, and it was beautiful. Um, Bax came out, pitched a hell of a game. He only made it through five. He had a little bit of a, a, a little bit of an illness come up. He was throwing up in the dug in the dugout trash can. And Cal uh, Wright, Charlie Morton, just did their thing. Um, it, it was it was really nice to see. One note I have is this: Braves bullpen allowed one run in twelve and two third innings against the Mets. So you know the starters got us where we were, and then the bullpen held it which was beautiful because the, all these games kind of felt like the Mets got on us early and then the Braves came storming right back and took the lead. And then it would stay like that all the way to the end. First game got a little bit, you know, out of hand. The Braves were putting up runs, hitting some home runs. Austin Riley, Dansley, Swanson, and Matt and all homered in that game. Um, and one thing I do want to say about this pitching staff, we kept the Mets' big bats quiet. Pete Alonzo, three for 10, zero runs, zero RBI, zero extra base hits. Francisco Lindor, two for 13, zero runs, zero RBI, zero extra base hits, and five strikeouts. We limited those two guys, and if you look at these, if you look at the Mets statistics, if these two guys aren't hitting, this Mets lineup is not putting up too many runs because both these guys are like top 10 in RBIs in the National League. They have all their small little bloop hitters all around their lineup for these two guys to drive them in, and the Braves did not let these guys do any damage throughout the series, which was all you could ask for from this pitching staff. It was beautiful. It was... Such a great series for the brace pitching staff. I can't even express how great it was. Dude, um, do you have anything to say about the pitching? I, I have some hitting notes too.
0: If Max Freed and Kyle Wright are absolute gangsters, yeah, yeah, you line up against two of the best pitchers of all time. Yes, not just two of the best pitchers in the MLB currently. Two of the best pitchers to ever be born. And you go 2-0 in those games. And these guys, Max Fried and Kyle Wright, these guys are 20-year-olds. Line it up against MLB veterans, two of the greatest pitchers of all time. I mean, what can you ask for, man? Like, you have got to feel so good if you're a Braves fan. If you're, if you're a fan of baseball in general, to see something like this go down, like... Like Jake mentioned it, we were nervous. Don't get me wrong. We were always nervous. We're down 10 and a half games. We're confident. We're confident in our boys. We're confident in the coaching staff. We're confident everywhere. We know we got the team. These are two 100-win teams in baseball. And that's nuts to think about in the same division, at the NL East, where the Mets have been lackluster. Everyone's been lackluster. The Braves have run this thing for years and years and years. And to keep that thing up, man, like – It's different. It's different now. It's competitive. It hasn't been this competitive in a long, long time, and when you face a dominant pitching staff like the Mets have, and you come out there and you show them up, and you dominate on the rubber, dude, I mean, absolute gangsters, ice in their veins, anything you want to say to them, I mean, we are completely indebted to these guys. Thank you so much. Uh, this Braves team is going to go on a run. We've had their back the entire time. If you weren't on the wagon, you need to hop on right now. Hop on the train and let's ride this thing into the postseason, man. Because it what what a time to be a Braves fan.
1: Yeah it it was a beautiful series. And you know we talk about Degrom and Scherzer, but Bassett has been hot recently. Bassett has been one of the better pitchers in baseball over the past month or so. And we chased him after two and two third innings. He only made it two and two third deep, gave up four runs. Like he walked in a run. This Braves lineup. Also, was doing damage. We look at it. The two guys that I want to mention that were easily the two best players, the two most impactful players were Matt Olson and Dansby Swanson. Um, in the series, Matt Olson was five for nine, four runs, five RBIs, three home runs. Dansby Swanson was four for 11, three runs, four RBIs, and three home runs. Both of them homered in all three games. Like they were such a big deal. Um, Austin Riley had a hell of a series, and I don't even have him listed on with these guys. Like <laughs> this is these two guys. Showed up for the city. And, and, you know, being Georgia guys, me and Kenny both ourselves, to see these two Georgia guys playing for the Braves and just absolutely going crazy in Truist Park where the stadium was packed out, going wild, and just showing up was beautiful, man. This Braves team has... The aggravation with this Braves team is that we will face a guy like Jacob DeGrom and Matt Scherzer and show up and hit, and then all of a sudden we'll face like Jesus Lazardo and strike out 11 times in five innings. So... This Braves team loves to be the best. They are cocky. They 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 know they're the best. They know what they do. And they show out, man. And that's what helps this Braves team so much come playoff time. They don't care who you put on the mound. This Braves team is confident that they, that they will beat you any given day. And I know football is a little different. Sometimes your players get a little cocky. Kind of like, okay, simmer down a little bit. Baseball is completely opposite. Go out there and show them up all day long. We love to see it. And when you have guys like Michael Harris and Ronald Acuna on the team, you kind of have to be like that. Like, you kind of have to be a fan. Like, okay, yeah, we, we're going to come out and show up. Because I guarantee you, we didn't get to see an Acuna home run like I was wanting to. But if he would have hit a home run, it would have taken him three minutes to round the base pass against the Mets in that series.
0: Oh, you know it.
1: And Money Mike's the same way. It was it was actually cool to see because Matt Olson was absolutely pimping his home runs he was hitting. Because he was not hitting cheapies. Matt Olsen was hitting, like, 440-foot shots. And he's not really the most, like, you know showtimey guy. Matt Olson's kind of like down under, and I know Kenny always says this. So I'm going to give you this quote, Kenny. Kenny always tells me, whenever you see Matt Olson get pumped up, it's a different type of excitement for Braves fans, because that's how you know something big just happened. Whenever you see Matt Olson get pumped, something amazing just happened. I would say Austin Riley, but Austin Riley never gets pumped. Austin Riley can hit a 470-foot walk-off home run in the World Series, and he's just going to crop the bases, but Matt Olsen has a little bit of a swagger where, where he, he might do it every once in a while. When he does, it, you know it's a big moment. And he definitely took full advantage of hitting these bombs against the Mets. because He was, he was tipping some shots. It was awesome.
0: It was awesome, man. I mean, we got the right guys heating up at the right time. We just got to keep this momentum moving forward. It's huge uh, to have home field advantage, and it's huge to have, um, you know, obviously we don't have to play in the wild card round. We get to sit back, see what happens. As of right now where it sits, I think we're looking at cardinals Phillies.
1: Yes, Cardinals-Phillies is who we're going to be looking at. Uh, with home field advantage, game one will be next Tuesday night, I believe.
0: Let me ask you this, Jake. Go ahead. I know the Cardinals are, you know, kind of got a bad reputation with Brace fans in the postseason. Um, what, what would you like to see in a uh, potential postseason matchup round one?
1: So this, this is a really, really tough question that I've kind of thought about a little bit in the past. Um, I was talking about this a little bit yesterday with some people. The Phillies scare me to an extent because of the Nola-Wheeler thing. I, I, I'm not a big fan of having to face both those guys. I, I think that both of them are near the upper echelon of National League pitchers for sure. So having those two cogs at the top of your rotation is is pretty scary. And, you know, the Phillies have a good lineup, too. You talk about Harper and Hoskins and Real Muto and Figuera. Like, they have a lot of players in Philadelphia. Now, we talk about the Cardinals. I don't think the Cardinals pitching is the same caliber as the Phillies, but their lineup is star studded. I mean, Nolan Arenado and Paul Goldschmidt by themselves are a scary, scary dude. We're probably talking about one and two in the National League MVP race. So it, it's kind of a hard thing. Um, not to mention Albert Pujols. Not to mention Albert Pujols, who is, who is just after the All-Star break, decided to find the Fountain of Youth and just hit nukes. So
0: 703.
1: You know, you know how it is with this Braves team. Um, I, I think the funner, the more fun series as a baseball fan would be the Cardinals. Um, I'm gonna say I'd rather play the Phillies. There's no doubt in my mind, I think Philadelphia is a worse team than what the Cardinals are. I just already picture in my head right now. Um, and, and this is not going against the Braves. I don't want to face the Cardinals, I already picture in my head right now, Ronald Acuna trying to steal second and Yachty gunning him out and just completely flexing on everybody because that's what Yachty Armelina does. So I <laughs> I would rather face the Phillies. I don't. I don't want to see Yachty. Yadi's a is a, is a gangster. is all I gotta say.
0: I think I would rather beat the Phillies than the Cardinals.
1: I would rather beat the Phillies than the Cardinals, and I'd rather play the Phillies than the Cardinals. So it kind of yeah. it kind of adds up pretty well. Um, I feel like I talked about how the Braves can kind of hit um upper echelon pitchers. They do have Wheeler and Nola, but we also have Freed, Strider, Wright, Morton. Like, we have plenty of guys we can throw at them, too. And I, I don't think their lineup is, their lineup is not as good as advertised. I mean, Schwarber, Castellanos, all these guys. But I, I don't think that lineup's really as good as what, you know, that's a lineup that could be shut out, is, is what I'm saying. They don't have the hitters like the Arnato and Goldschmidt and them guys. I think that's a different tier list of, you know. Major league hitters. Um, and you know, our past experience with the Cardinals in the playoffs. I know last year we beat them in the playoffs, but you know, we I can never forget about Fulton Nevich's ten and ten uh ten run first inning. So that will that will we were, forever live in my mind, especially since we were at the game. Yeah, in the building. Um, yeah, I, I'm I'm gonna lean towards the Phillies. I I would like to play the Phillies and then I will root for the Mets to beat the Padres, and then I'll root for the Mets to beat the Dodgers, and then we just beat up on the Mets again in the National League Championship Series and make our way to the World Series.
0: Nothing will make me happier. How about an NLE sweep to the World Series? Phillies, Mets, World Series.
1: It'd be beautiful. Now, the one downside of that is uh, if we'd lost to the Mets, which I I don't think would happen, but if we lost to the Mets, it would be the worst thing in the world. Like, it would be the worst. I would rather lose to the Dodgers than the Mets. So, (laughs) Now, to be yeah. fair, the Mets have to make it out of the Padres series. That Padres team is is decent; they're a decent ball club. So, you know that <laughs> getting the Braves out of that situation is just enjoyable by itself. Is having these off days all the way till Tuesday. Obviously, you have, to, you have a game tomorrow, but we all know how that's going to go because it's a meaningless game. We'll probably play Robbie Grossman, and I'm sure this is no offense to Vaughn. We love Vaughn on the podcast. I'm sure Vaughn will probably. Get some PT. Orlando's been putting in work at second base, so we'll probably see Vaughn out there. We'll we'll see a lot of the reserves out there. Ozuna might play. Ozuna might play center, for all we know. <laughs> all
0: right, yeah, t- dude. I mean, one thing I will say about this postseason, this is no shot at the Braves pitching staff at all, because it's you know top of the league in any way you look at it. But if the Mets thought that it was hell facing Freed, Cal, Wright, and Charlie Morton, y'all have fun with Kershaw and Gonsolin.
1: And uh, Tyler Anderson is having a crazy year too. Like they yeah. have, the Dodgers have guys and they always do, which is, which is always super, super scary. And one thing about the Dodgers, that lineup is like the Braves lineup. They will put runs up on anybody. They don't care who you have pitching on the mound, they will put runs up on you. So this MOB postseason is about to be a lot of fun, especially on the National League side. I don't really worry too much about the American League side. I'm not a, a fan of America. Like I know it's, I, I don't really. Care about the American League until it gets to the World Series. I, I, that kind of sounds like not a baseball fan, but I'm a Braves fan. I like baseball. I keep track of like Aaron Judge and all the stuff he's doing, and I do know American, like I know the American League teams and their players, but I don't really care what they do until the World Series comes around. <laughs> you can't worry about it. So we're gonna be seeing a. Now I will say a Braves Yankees World Series would be electric. <laughs> Absolutely. If you were to make a prediction right now, any give me your World Series prediction,
0: Braves Astros.
1: I'm going the same way. It's going to be a Braves Astros rematch, and we're going to beat them again. No doubt. Absolutely. No doubt. I think the Astros are easily the best team out of the American League. Um, I don't want to be a homer and say the Braves are easily the best team in the National League because that's not true. But this Braves team we mentioned earlier, they have a different grit when it gets to postseason time and when it gets to big-time players, like big-time series. And especially you had a guy like Michael Harris who wasn't here last year, a guy like Robert Acuna who wasn't here last year. That's like a different level of like, okay, this is the big moment. We're about to show up. So, and then we talk about Spencer Strider coming back from his oblique. I'm sure, I mean, not, he's supposed to be cleared to be throwing soon. So hopefully we'll have him back for that first NLDS. And, hey. Ozzy's not written off yet, so we could be adding we could be adding a top five second baseman of to baseball too. So
0: I'll also mention I think a Braves Blue Jays World Series would be electric.
1: That would be a lot of fun. I want to see a Braves uh, Cleveland because that was the World Series we won in '95. Yeah, <laughs> and we'd probably sweep them. Like now, I'm saying that we're gonna lose the we're gonna lose Cleveland in the World Series. Um, but yeah, that, that's it on my Braves notes. Uh. It'll probably be a slow day on the podcast for the Braves tomorrow because what are we really going to talk about? Like, yeah. We won't have too much more Braves stuff going into next week. I'm sure that we might have to readjust a little bit scheduling coming up with the playoffs. Um, I don't want to plan too far ahead because you don't ever know how that could go. We could play one week of playoff baseball or we could play three weeks of playoff baseball. But I'm sure if you know the World Series comes around, I don't know if we're going to be doing podcasts live during a Game 5 of World Series. So you know, that, that'll be something that we'll keep y'all updated. I will probably I'll get Kenny to get on the old Twittergram and put some stuff out, and letting y'all know whenever we plan on going live and stuff. <laughs> yeah. We'll be ready. But yeah, that's it on Brave stuff for me. We're pumped up. Oh. We're in all these champions and uh, everybody buy your gear. I saw that Dick Sporting Goods was selling Nas- uh, Mets National League champion shirts, National League East champion shirts like a week ago. So, you know. Thank you, Dicks. Now that's going to be sent to Kenya. Yeah. Hope you kept your receipts. Exactly. <laughs> All right, what, what'd you say? How about, how about we getting them cons? Let's dive into the Falcons, man. Let's dive into the Falcons. Kenny, do you want to take the, take the wheel right here? Do you want me to go ahead and get it, get it kicked off? Why don't you go ahead? You lead us off, Jake. All right, so the Falcons had a big game this weekend against the Cleveland Browns and Mercedes-Benz. Um, I think it was a pretty highly anticipated one. This is one that has a lot of featured weapons that I think a lot of people are excited about. Um, I'm sure if it was a common football fan and you were looking at it, I know pro football focus put out a thing that I talked about a little bit last week. And I'm gonna say a little, I'm gonna say again. Now, this is the two best teams with the wide receiver running back tight end tandems with the with Cleveland, having Amari Cooper, Nick Chubb and uh, David and Joku. And then obviously the Falcons, we have uh Cordero Patterson, um, Drake London and Kyle Pitts. And I'm sure if you were an outside fan, you'd probably look at the Falcons and be like, how the hell is that? The second best tandem in football. Um, because y'all have not watched Falcons football. These guys are real. Falcons pulled out pulled away with a 23-20 to victory. Um, thanks to a big time claim game clinching interception by our boy D. Alfred, somebody that we talked really, really high on in the preseason. Happy to see D making his place. I think every Falcons fan, if you're like a hardcore Falcons fan, this guy is like almost Jared Bernhardt caliber. Like I think he played in the Canadian Football League before he got to the Falcons. So he's a guy you you want to root for. You want to see him do good. And this Falcons team is full of those guys. Um this Falcons run game is insane. The Falcons can run the ball on any defense. I am confident in that. Um, partially because of the guys we have running the ball and partially because this offensive line might be good. I, <laughs> I didn't think I would say this going into the year, but this offensive line with Drew Dahlman taking over the center spot and Caleb McGarry and Chris Lindstrom holding down that right side is impeccable. We know we have on the left side with uh, Jake Matthews and Elijah Wilkerson. He's, Wilkerson's a, a veteran. He, he holds down that spot pretty well. But I want to circle that, that really that right side of the offensive line because Caleb McGarry is a guy that nobody was high on going to this year. I think most Falcons fans are kind of ready to see a replacement at that right tackle spot. We didn't pick up the fifth-year option on him going into next year. Caleb McGarry has been playing some really, really, really good ball so far through, through four games this season. So I hope that maybe he might get an extension if he can keep this up because we don't want to lose that guy. Lindstrom obviously is probably a top-five guard in football, so we, Lindstrom's a beast. And this Falcons run game has been amazing. Cordell Patterson, I will be the first to tell you that I did not expect him to do nearly what he did last year. And he is a better football player than he was last year. Right now, the Falcons have the fourth, the fourth best run offense in the NFL. You would have told, asked us at the end of last year where the Falcons would rank in run offense in four games next season. Nobody would tell you probably top 20, and we are fourth in the NFL right now in run offense. Um, some negative stuff. I've talked so much positives about Cordell Patterson. Uh, Cordell Patterson's going to the IR, so he will be out for at least four weeks. He had a knee injury. I think he has to get a little procedure done on it. And I don't think it's going to be something he'll be out for the season with. I think it's just going to be probably about this four weeks and he should be back. And that leads to Caleb Huntley and Tyler Algier being the two workhorses in this backfield. Um, one of those names is pretty notable for me and Kenny. It's a guy that we went to high school with. Kenny played football with and graduated with. So you know Caleb Huntley from Ball State, Locust Grove High School, uh legend. Um, it, really, really good to see him get some significant carries. And uh, friend of the show, yeah, friend of the show, Caleb Huntley. We're gonna have him on here at some point, hopefully so. And it, it's it's gonna be really, really fun. Um, I don't want to completely stray away from Tyler Algier. This is a uh, a pretty early draft pick we had on a BYU, and he can tote. Tyler Algier can tote a football, and Caleb Huntley the same. I saw a tweet um out there on Twitter, and somebody said. You're trying to tell me the Falcons had Nick Chubb on our practice squad the whole year when they were talking about Caleb Huntley. <laughs> yeah, this. It, this run offense is insane. Um, I do want to mention Damian Williams is a guy that is eligible to come off the IR next week. So he's also a guy that's going to be in that mix. He's a he's a veteran running back. that's had good success throughout his NFL career. So I assume that he's going to be a guy that also hops in. But he better hope that he does not lose his spot on this Falcons team because he very well could hop in and be the third running back with how good Doby saw Caleb Huntley and Tyler Algier play. Um, and this Browns, you know, run defense is out. I mean, I haven't looked at the stats, so I'm not going to say it straight up. But I know they have Jadavian Clowney, who has always been one of the best run stoppers in football. So I'm not going to say that they're one of the best ones. Like I said, I have not looked at the stats. So this is just mindless talking. But I don't think they're a bad run defense. So. You know, props to us for toting the ball over them. And even if they are a good run or a bad run defense, we've done it four games now. So Falcons are rolling. Um, It was a quiet game through the pass game. Falcons turned the ball over. And I want to say we ended up running the ball like 17 straight plays or something completely stupid. (laughs) And it worked for us. Marcus Mariota is that guy. um, He's not flashy. He's not great. But I understand how come he won so many games with Tennessee because that is what he does. He's not going to lose you of any games. Um, he's probably not going to win you too many games, but he is just consistent. You see consistent play week in, week out from Marcus Mariota, You know what you're going to get from him. So it's actually a pretty beautiful thing. And whenever this offensive line is keeping pressure off of his back, you know, the Falcons seem like they're making pretty good plays. So hopefully we can keep this up going into week, week five next week.
0: Absolutely. Jakey did a phenomenal job. I will say of covering the game. Um, I'm a homer, a complete homer. So I got to give props to my boy, Caleb, man. Um, was so excited to see him get some significant playing time, man. Ten carries, came in the game, scored his first NFL touchdown, hit a mean gritty in the end zone, tore it up. Um, Caleb, obviously, we talked about a friend of the show, a really good friend of mine from high school, got some really good memories with, with this guy on and off the field. Um, super great dude. Can't You can't – I couldn't pick a better guy to – wish success to um especially for a hometown team like he's living out his dream man and, and your hometown's pulling for you i was texting back and forth with caleb yesterday man um you know just giving him props telling him how proud we are obviously on this podcast we've been singing his praises since day one so to see him get some burn has just been so exciting for us um, and yeah, yeah, we look to hopefully get him on the podcast soon, one day. Get him on here, talk a little football, talk a little Falcons, get a little inside source action. But Caleb, we love you, brother. Proud of you, and uh, keep it up, man. We're excited to see you play.
1: Oh yeah, definitely. I also want to mention another one of your, uh, another one of you or one of your buddy's friends. Um, somebody that I know Austin knows. Austin's not somebody's been on the podcast yet, but hopefully we get him on at some point. He played, he played against us this week, Isaac Rochelle. You know, he's he's playing with Cleveland right now. He had he had four tackles against us, so also a little bit of a notable thing another hometown guy that we can that we can root for he's from around here right
0: eagles anime uh he was elka boy elka boy state champ um Isaac, great dude as well um another guy you couldn't wish you you couldn't pick a better guy to wish success to um great guy great individual he was a uh, walter pate man of the year uh, candidate last year um does a lot off the field as well but yeah no great guy obviously a great player Notre Dame captain, um, he's just an absolute stud. So yeah, hometown boy showing out in the NFL. Uh, that's super exciting. So is he the one, you know, you know, you know, Isaac. Yeah, I know Isaac, man. He, um, I went to, uh, for those of you who don't know, I went to, uh, Eagles Land and Christian, uh, a little bit earlier in high school. Um, he's a little bit older than me. He was a, a senior when I was in middle school. Um, but, uh, got to meet him throughout playing football there throughout my years there, um, Just a really good guy, man, on and off the field, obviously, like I just mentioned. Total workhorse. He's a little bit of a a unique player, a little bit of a unicorn in the fact that he can play all three downs. You don't see a lot of guys like that. He can stop the run. He can get after the passer. Very selfless player and um, a selfless person as well. So, yeah, Isaac, great guy, and, um, you know, we we love, love, love to see uh, hometown boys showing out, especially when you got two guys like that that are just quality football players but even better human beings
1: and completely hometown too. Like we don't come from a big city. Like we, we don't come from a big place at all. So just seeing people like that anywhere from our area is just completely awesome to see them have success. Uh, one last Falcons note I do want to make, um, Amari Cooper was held to one catch for nine yards. So, um, I like to watch red zone on Sundays. I'm not going to lie to you. I, I will be honest with everybody. I flip red zone Falcons back and forth. Um, but I don't know how the coverage was working on that. I'm assuming AJT was the guy that was on him. And if that's the truth, then AJT is that dude. Because Amari Cooper is a stud. And no matter who was on him, holding Amari Cooper to one catch for nine yards is very significant for this Falcons offense, which was huge. Um, I also did see Troy Anderson. He had some pretty big plays. Uh, there was a moment where it was a swing pass to Nick Chubb. And AJ Terrell was like right there. And Troy Anderson was at the linebacker position. And then he beat AJ Terrell to Nick Chubb and made the play with AJ Terrell like at the line of scrimmage, it was awesome to see. So I know for a little bit, everybody was kind of saying, why did we draft this kid with the pick we did whenever there were still, you know, guys like N'Kobe Dean and stuff on the board. Um, it's for stuff like that. It, it You watch college ball, guys that are great in college does not mean they're going to be great in the NFL. We know Nicobe Dean's a pretty undersized guy for that linebacker position, especially whenever you're trying to tackle a guy like Nick Chubb in open space. Might be a little tough for you, bud. So Troy Anderson out of, I want to say Montana State, has you know he's 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 impressed over the weeks. Uh, he's obviously getting more play time, which is which is good to see because he's a guy that we want to see show out because of where he was drafted and people talking all the trash on it.
0: Yeah, man, this Falcons team just continues to prove people wrong. They continue to prevail. I mentioned last week just the ability of this team to fight through adversity is something so unique because we just haven't seen. You know, this Falcons team got that dog in them. And we haven't seen Falcons teams in in recent year or, you know, since the Super Bowl era have, um, you know, that kind of fight in them, that kind of, I'll say, ability to fight through adversity. I guess everybody has the ability to fight through adversity, but this Falcons team is doing it and constantly proving people wrong week after week. It's an exciting team to watch. Obviously, we're hometown fans. We're we're homers. uh, we, We love the Falcons. We always do. We pull for them even when we're, you know, top four or five draft pick in the NFL. But, um, to see this team have some success early on and, and some people jump on them. Hey, and, and betting-wise, 4-0 against the spread this year.
1: Only team in only team in the NFL to do that. Hey, I'm not going to get too far into it because uh, we have an episode tomorrow where we're going to talk about it. It's going to continue next week. Oh yeah. Definitely. Um, but that is that is it on my Falcons note. Like I think you said it very good at the end. Just continues to impress um a lot better roster than what I think a lot of people so i think this roster kind of reminds me a lot of that 2017 roster on the defensive side of things where it's gritty i'm not gonna say the talent's all there but it is gritty. like these guys on the defensive side we have a lot of guys that are young players and a lot of guys that are veterans like rashad evans who's just out there trying to show that he could still ball and he that's what he's doing this year michael walker at the linebacker position has been great he's a guy that a lot of people have been excited about he's our deon jones replacement so you know, we've a lot of guys. And then Grady Jarrett. Grady Jarrett is having a great year. Um, Three and a half sacks through four games at, at the interior defensive lineman spot. Um, I don't think this guy ages. He consistently, even if this Falcons defense is absolutely terrible, which they're not this year, he's going to put up numbers. And he's continued to do that this year, which is beautiful to see.
0: Yeah, couldn't ask for anything better. And uh, really, really good showings from the young players early on this year. So, man, we just got to keep it up and keep moving forward offensively, defensively. Um. This coaching staff, this this uh, ownership group, managing staff, whatever you want to say about it, has done a really, really good job in recent years drafting. Um, if we can keep that up and build this roster up, dude, like this is uh, this is an exciting team. This is a team that uh, has proven a lot of people wrong, and um, we're not going to do anything but get better.
1: Especially going into an offseason where we're going to have a ton of cap room to just add on, add on with your young pieces, be able to get talent around them with veterans and. It's going to be a fun season. It's going to be, you know, this Falcons team is going to be a fun one to keep up with. Um, We're Atlanta fans, so we know what it's like to go through a rebuild when it comes with the Braves, and then when it comes with the Hawks. And you see that rebuilds get teams in better positions. And if that's, I think we have an understanding that that's what you have to do to get there. I think me and Kenny can both say we are all for it. At the professional level, sometimes you get to a point where you can't compete no more. You can't afford to pay all the players on your team, so you kind of have to do it college level Georgia can continue to be good for 25 years if we choose to if we continue to be a dominant program and in professional level it's a little bit different so you know i I think that this is we're in a rebuild phase but it's nowhere near as drastic as a rebuild phase as a lot of people thought which is nice still gives you entertaining football to watch every Sunday and this Falcons team could play for a wild card spot. Which is is exciting. We can go into a wild card spot and get absolutely blown out, and I guarantee you, as Falcons fans, are still going to be excited as hell to watch that damn wild card thing. Because I, my biggest pet peeve in sports is saying, "Oh, why should your team even try? They could just lose and get the draft pick." I don't care about a draft pick right now. It might help you in the future, but I do not care about go out there and try to win as many games as you want to. I'm not one for tanking. That is not my fandom. I do understand it helps, but that is not the route I want to see us go. If We I think that this team should win as many games as they are capable of. And it's like that in every sport.
0: Oh. I mean, the, the, that's the name of the game. In sports, you want to win. A fan, you want to see your teams win. The team wants to win. Like, uh, that, that's, that's what you play for. So it'd be stupid to pull for anything else. Exactly.
1: Um, I will say we're pushing an hour 30 right now, Kenny. I don't know if there's any other segments you want to get into. I know we have our bet segment, and I, I figure that could be one we can end out on. Is there any other thing you want to talk about?
0: No, I mean, you know, we'll do a a little recap of college ball and NFL ball. We can save that for the next episode. Uh, We're going to have a little bit less to talk about after we cover UGA. We'll, you know, get into a little Auburn talk. Obviously, Braves and all these champs don't really have much more to add to that. So, um, no, we we can kind of recap everything next week. So, yeah, let's end it on how we did betting-wise this past week.
1: Okay, so um, let's just say we started off with, Let's start off with college. Um, the first bets that we had thrown out there was our favorites for college. hey, I'll go ahead and let you give your favorite. And uh, yeah. do you want do you want to do our win loss? You want to go like break it down one by one, or you um, break it down one by one, then give our win loss at the end?
0: Yeah. Why don't we do this? Let's go college and just announce who our picks were, and then uh, I'll let. So I'll go college, then you go college, then I'll go NFL, then you go NFL, and then we'll just release the record at the end. Okay. Um. So my favorite of the week was Pitt minus 21 and a half against Georgia Tech. Ooh. Um, obviously, that did not hit, and Georgia Tech won that game in incredible fashion. That was the absolute stinker of the week. Um, my underdog of the week was Kentucky plus six and a half against Ole Miss. My over of the week was Maryland and Michigan State over 59 and a half, and my under of the week was Arizona State, USC under 60 and a half.
1: Okay, so... The route I went with college ball, um, my favorite I picked was Michigan minus 10.5 versus Iowa. Um, My underdog I picked was Kentucky plus 6.5 versus Ole Miss. Uh, My over I went with was Louisville, Boston College, over 50.5. And my under was Georgia Southern, Coastal Carolina, under 64.5. All
0: right. On the men's league side of things, and pro ball, my favorite of the week was the Giants minus 3.5 against the Bears. My underdog was the Rams plus one and a half against the Niners. My over of the week was Jacksonville and Philly over 46 and a half, And my under of the week was Miami Cincy under 46 and a half.
1: Okay. So the route I went, um, this is when I hyped up a lot last week when I was talking and I even did through the weekend. My favorite I went with was the Oak was that must Oakland. Oh my Lord. I'm, I'm far off the Vegas Raiders minus two and a half versus Denver. Um, I was going to say that was a fat dub. Thank you, Vegas. I, I was I was really hoping you'd come through for me because I kept on preaching this Vegas team is way too good to be zero and four, and now they're one and three. Thank you. I knew you had to win at some point. You did. Um, Arizona plus one and a half versus Carolina. I don't want to give too much of a breakdown on these, but this is one that I had seen all over social media as being a trap game. Everybody was all the money was going on. Uh, was going on Arizona because everybody's kind of going off last year. Namely, Arizona pulled it off. It was a tight game. Arizona did not play their best ball. Still, they have not looked good through four weeks, and um, I'm hoping they'll get up because anybody that watched the podcast or has ever listened to me talk about NFL, Kyler is my boy, so it kind of makes me go for the Cardinals a little bit because I'm such a big Kyler Murray fan. Um, My over was Kansas City, Tampa Bay, over 45 and a half. This is one that I talked about last week, and I was really, really stressed about it. I I felt like it was kind of bold because I always was going into that game. I was feeling like you need to be... A complete stinker of a game, or it could be an awesome game. Um, for me, a complete stinker of a game is like a 13 to seven final score, and an awesome game is like a 45 to 41 final score. And it it definitely leaned a little bit more towards the awesome side. I don't think it was particularly as close as I would have liked to see it, but it was a lot of points scored, which is nice. Um, and then my under was the Jet Steelers under 41 and a half. Uh that one that one went over. So I I was not right on that. Kenny Pickett came in. He scored two rushing touchdowns. And uh, that is pretty much all said and done. Zach Wilson came back this week. uh, Two interceptions. So good to see some things never change. Well, so...
0: Pretty good week as a show betting wise. Jake killed it and he'll get into his record. I personally I went four for four on the week. Struggled in college ball. NFL came through for me, which is pretty uncharacteristic for me. I'm typically the exact opposite. I you I do very well in college ball and then I get crushed on Sundays. So um, it was kind of a refreshing week to go opposite, but uh, either way you look at it, I broke even four and four, win you money back. Let's move on to next week, pick some winners.
1: Hey, sometimes sometimes a four and four days a good day. Especially it depends on what type of streak you're on. Sometimes it's a bad day, sometimes it's a good day. So, you know, this is our first time we've ever really done this segment, which is—it's kind of a fun segment. It's—it's it's, it's cool to see like our picks. Um, I went seven and one the week. Ooh, I was on absolute heater. Uh, four and o in college ball. Um, to be honest with you. I feel like most of them are pretty easy. Like we talked about Kentucky last week. We knew Kentucky was not going to get blown out in this game. They didn't. Like I mean, we, we know what Kentucky is and Kentucky does it every week. See, see Kentucky plus six and a half against almost anybody in college football. is kind of like, okay, this is, this is a little bit weird unless you're talking about like one of those top tier teams, like a Michigan or an Ohio state, Alabama, Georgia, um, Michigan 10 and a half felt really, really good going into it. Um, I will say I would make that game pretty interesting. Like, <laughs> I don't think it was a pretty, particularly close game. I think the box score kind of, like, if you look at the final score, it's closer than what the game actually was, because I did watch that game all the way through. But, you know, the 10 and a half was, was kind of hanging in there. Louisville, Boston College over 50 and half was an absolute lock. I think they scored 60-something total points, so that was that was an easy one. And uh, Georgia, Southern Coastal Carolina. Whenever I said this one out loud on the podcast, it felt like the most weird pick I've ever made in my life. But, you know, somebody, uh, uh, I don't even want to say alma mater, because I don't know if I can say alma mater if I only went there for Half a for a semester, but you know, Georgia Southern, you know, person. (laughs) Georgia Southern former student. Former student at the University of Georgia Southern. Uh you go into a Georgia Southern Coastal Carolina matchup. We know what's at stake at that point. Like that this that's two teams that are going to go at each other's throats. It was a lot more higher scoring than I thought, and the total score was 64. And I went under 64 and a half. So I was Vegas couldn't have picked a better number. And I, I just got lucky and picked the picked the right side of it. So that was that was beautiful. Um I already broke down all my NFL stuff. So, you know, seven and one, four and oh in college and three and one in NFL. I can't ask for a better, better first time doing this. This this feels good.
0: Hey, and you really carried the pill for us this week, but hey, I'll tell you what, man, we're not sharps by any means, but if you're keeping track as a show, eleven and five.
1: Eleven and the five first-
0: through the first week of announcing our bets like our official show bets live 11 and 5 pretty good let's keep this momentum headed forward i mean it's a pretty significant win percentage
1: yeah just drop full units on every bet we say we're gonna guarantee money at some point right like i honestly i don't want to hype myself up as as, as as a super great better because me and kenny do the same thing pretty much on saturdays we bet on every damn game and then all of a sudden you look at it we don't win no damn money because we might win a little bit of money here and there but if we were actually like serious betters and like went really really hard on this stuff, we probably could. I I think we could be positive, like significantly positive sports betters. But sometimes you want to bet on the games you're watching, and we happen to watch a lot of college football on Saturday.
0: <laughs> a game, man. Hey, look, you, you think about it like this: If we take ten minutes to sit down and assess college football and NFL football and give some official picks, and we go eleven and five. And maybe we need to spend twenty minutes on that this week yeah maybe so
1: maybe we might go maybe we gotta go uh let's go 16 and 0 next week but we gotta get yeah, ready though because that's tomorrow so we have to get we about to get bets and stuff ready for tomorrow that's gonna be that's always one of my favorite things we do on the podcast i will say that i love talking about the betting it's it's always Absolutely. a lot of a lot of fun so um like you said we're gonna come back into this tomorrow and uh we're not gonna focus too much on georgia stuff and stuff like that because we go so far into the breakdowns on this um with this so this tomorrow is going to be a little bit more of like a full-on breakdown we have a little bit of hate week stuff coming up that we will get, get into tomorrow i know kenny's excited about it um sir so tomorrow will be just more of an all-around podcast we're we'll going to break down things oh excuse me right at the end of the podcast I had a burp come up that's my apologies <laughs> tomorrow will be an episode we just kind of dive into everything so you'll get a little bit more you know full league wide stuff going on and uh It's going to be a really, really fun one, but I think that pretty much wraps us up for uh, episode 17 of the peach state tailgate podcast. It was a great weekend in Georgia sports. Like I said, and uh, like, like the title says, it was a, it was a sweep in Georgia, especially even Georgia tech. Sorry, Kenny for the bet.
0: Yeah. Sorry about it. Uh, no, man, it it was a great weekend all around in Georgia sports. Braves and at least champs couldn't ask for a better, for a better conclusion to the regular season there. Um, so no super positive moving forward. And, um, I'm excited to dive into tomorrow, get into some more bets, talk a little bit m- more ball from around the league, college and NFL, um, and just dive into some more stuff, man. But, uh, you know, it was a great episode. We talked about a lot. We covered a lot, negatives and positives all around the board. And, um, man, before we get out of here, I mentioned it at the beginning, but y'all interact with us, man, check us out on the socials. Let us know what we can do to make the show better. We love bringing y'all sports content. We're going to keep put, doing it and moving forward. And, um. We're excited, man. We're going to keep doing this, and uh, we appreciate y'all for listening.
1: Oh, yeah. Thank you guys so much.